Welcome to Captain's Log, the show devoted to discussions and insights into pop culture with an emphasis on cinema in the occasional themed episodes. This is your captain speaking, Jose Valle Jr. Let's begin our transmission. Star date 01-21-2020. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Captain's Log. It has been a minute since you last heard my lovely voice, but to make up for it today, I think we should have a real good episode. Or at the very least, one that will leave you angry at my choices, which, hey, at least it'll make an impact on you. That's all that matters, right? Today, we are going to be taking a look and my choices for the best films of the previous decade, so from 2010 to 2019, which, isn't it crazy that we are now in a new decade? We are in the 2020s, baby. Who knows what this decade could hold? I mean, probably just more climate change and pollution and a step closer to our eventual demise, but don't even think about that. Don't even worry about it, all right? I am sorry about the super long break um, between uh, episodes. I mean, last, last one came out like November something. Uh, I meant to do some episodes before I, I went home to Utah, so I meant to do some episodes within like the last couple weeks of uh, November and like the first week of December. And I, I, I was going to do a Christmas must-watch episode like, a, like we did for Thrills or Kills, but a Christmas version uh, with Mason Schrader, friend of the podcast. A friend of the log. That's what I'm going to start saying. Uh, but um, I ended up leaving before we could do that. And then when I went home, I traveled around a lot more in December than I expected. I decided to have an episode uh, up at the start of January and even record some other episodes with some, you know, some real fun guests um, to premiere later to, you know, release later on. Uh, but I ended up getting like super deathly sick the right after new year's and that like totally trashed uh my plans uh so i am sorry about that but i'm pretty sure i had the flu uh so i was like in bed for four days and i couldn't get up and it's the worst because it ruined a ton of plans that i had for that last week um but it's okay because i have some real fun uh, topics planned for this uh, year and uh, you know I think I'm now going to stay consistent with uh, two episodes a month that two episodes a month schedule that I talked about doing but um, yeah but b b before we jump into the news I, I do want to share some rather you know exciting news about me uh, with you all um, I know you're tired of my rambling but hang on hang in there uh, the short film I co-wrote and directed, Static, has been accepted into its first film festival, which is awesome, the Butch Cassidy Film Festival in Southern Utah. So thanks again to uh, all our friends and family who supported us through the production and to all of you who donated towards our festival fees. Uh, if you would like to attend the festival, um, to support the film, you can find the information on the festival's Facebook page, so just look up uh, Butch Cassidy Film Festival. It's supposed to be, I think, the 3rd through the 8th. If you haven't already, you can watch Static on my personal YouTube channel, Jose Valle Jr., or 
on my new channel, Animal Productions, which is where I will be posting all my short films and other fun and exciting content like movie essays and scene breakdowns. So go check it out uh, and subscribe. And while you're at it, subscribe to the podcast's official YouTube channel, Captain's Log, where you can find the episodes for those of you who get your podcasts uh, or prefer to get your podcasts from YouTube. Um, anyway, with that out of the way, let's get into Did You See the News? Did you see the news that Bad Boys for Life, which has opened 17 years after the last installment in the franchise hit theaters, has pushed to an estimated $68.1 million over the four-day Martin Luther King Jr. weekend? The film's release marks the second best showing uh, ever for the holiday weekend and Sony's biggest R-rated bow. The action comedy also did great overseas, where it collected uh, $37.3 million from 39 markets for a global debut of $107.3 million. Uh, The film sees Martin Lawrence reunited with superstar Will Smith. Um, However, Bad Boys uh, celebration comes to the disappointment uh, uh, comes with a disappointment of fellow superstar Robert Downey Jr. As Universal Doolittle wasn't so fortunate at the weekend box office. The big budget effort to may, uh, made on a budget of approximately $175 million has collected a measly $30 million in its four-day debut. At this rate, it seems that the family movie could lose tens of millions for Universal, unless, of course, it performs uh, well overseas. While Doolittle hoped to create a new chapter in the story about the man who can speak to animals, it was ravaged by critics, while audiences were less than impressed by it. Audiences gave it a B cinema score, and the film was actually supposed to come out in May, but was delayed twice as Universal rushed to rework elements of the story and complete reshoots, which is never a good sign for your movie. Um, it also should be noted that the director Stephen uh, Gagan or Gagan of Syriana, uh, Syriana, and Traffic fame had never helmed a movie so dependent on special effects. So that must have not helped. Did you see the news that 1917 has received the astounding producer of theatrical motion pictures at the 31st Annual Producers Guild Awards on Saturday night, uh, bringing into sharper focus the Oscars race three weeks ahead of the ceremony. And speaking of the Oscars, did you see the nominations? Well, if you didn't, you're in luck because we are about to dive into them. I won't be going over all of the categories, but just the ones that I think are worth mentioning. And the nominees are, for Best Picture, Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and lastly, Parasite. For actor in a leading role, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and lastly, Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. For actress in a leading role, Cynthia Erivo for, Har- for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, uh, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and lastly, Renee Zellweger for Judy. For actor in a supporting role, Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, Al Pacino for The Irishman, Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and lastly, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
For actress in a supporting role, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit, Flor- Florence Pugh for Little Women, and lastly, Margot Robbie for Bombshell. For animated feature film, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, I Lost My Body, Klaus, Missing Link, and lastly, Toy Story 4. For cinematography, Rodrigo Prieto for The Irishman, Lauren Schur for Joker, uh, Jarin Blaschke for The Lighthouse, Roger Deakins for 1917, and lastly, Robert Richardson for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. For directing, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and lastly, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. For writing, original screenplay, uh, Knives Out, written by Ryan Johnson, Marriage Story, written by Noah Baumbach, 1917, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns, I think, Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, written by Quentin Tarantino, and Parasite, written by Bong Joon-ho and Han Jin-wan. And that is all the news of the week. Uh, I'm super excited for the Oscars. That is my Super Bowl, people. That is the thing I look forward to the most every year, even more so than my own birthday, Christmas, any birthday of anybody that I've ever said that I care about. The Oscars. That's my baby. So don't even don't even get the hell out of here with your... I already know somebody's going to say, whoa, but the ratings, get the fuck out of here with that shit, all right? I don't want to hear about it. But anyway, let's get into Check This Out. All right, let's get right into it. I don't have that many... Um, I don't have that many things to recommend today, and that's because... I feel like the topic is going to take a lot, uh, is going to take up a lot of time. Sorry if you occasionally hear the sound of doors in the background. I'm back here at WPU Studios um, in the Digital Communication Building, the Moscow Technology Center back on William Penn's campus. And for whatever reason today, everybody decided to come into the building and keep going into the bathroom, which is right across from the studio. And... The studio is, I guess, not super soundproof, so you can hear people constantly opening and closing that heavy ass door. So I apologize about that. We'll try not to. We'll try not to um, pay any attention to it from this point forward. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's get into the recommendations. First off, it's a song by AJR. Um, if you've been listening to the show, you know I love AJR, um, and uh, this song is actually from the Click, the deluxe version of that album. And it's called Pretender. It's the acoustic version of Pretender. Um, I just really like that song because I really like the lyrics of it. That's a, that's one thing I've always liked about AJR. When it's, you know, some of the lyrics are a little weird and a little um, kind of seems kind of mindless. But when you actually take the time to listen to them, they all have a deeper meaning behind them. They're all talking about a much more complex thing than what it seems like on the surface and pretender is definitely one of them it's very much about feeling like a not like a fraud but feeling like you're yeah i guess a fraud you know feeling like you're you're pretending to be this other person that you're not uh feeling like a fake and you know i think we can all relate to that at some point uh i'm sure there's some point in our life where we know that we're doing something not for us but for someone else so that we're doing it because you know we are trying to fit in uh, where 
And, and when you, when you realize that it kind of sucks because you, you feel like this fake, you're like, I'm only here. I'm only pretending to enjoy this. I'm only pretending to want to do this because of, you know, because of pressure from whatever, or because I don't like, I don't think people will like the real me or whatever. And so this song very much speaks to that. Um, and it's, you know, it's something that I myself have struggled with over the last, uh, little bit. Uh, so I think, yeah, so that's why I like the song one AJR always has a catchy tune. They always do. Um, but this song is very much one that speaks to a feeling that I think a lot of us are very familiar with. So definitely check out Pretender by AJR. It's on the deluxe edition of the Click album. Next up, we have a miniseries. Uh, this one just premiered. It's from the BBC in association with Netflix. So it's all you can find it on Netflix. It is written by Mark Gatiss and um, Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who and Sherlock fame. And it is the series Dracula, which is based on Bram Stoker's novel of the same name. Uh, this is a really good, really well-made series. I have to say that right up front. Uh, it's got just the right elements of horror, of the vampire mythos, of the... It's got just, you know, it keeps the right things from the novel and dismisses things that might not have been super important. It changes a lot, but it never feels like it's not... Never at any point does it feel like it's not faithful to the adaptation. You know what I'm saying? It never feels like it's a disingenuine adaptation of the novel. Um, the first two episodes, the first episode especially, are just phenomenal. Phenomenal horror, uh, phenomenal you know, storytelling, just great. Second episode is fun too. And then the third episode, it takes a re I'm not going to spoil it because it just came out, but it takes a twist that that I didn't love. Uh, I didn't hate what ended up happening because of it, but it just felt like a complete 180 of the previous two episodes. I'm intrigued to see if they follow this up. I think there is room to follow it up despite the ending. Um, but I just, the fr I definitely recommend the first two episodes. I'm not saying don't watch the last episode, but I'm just saying just expect the third episode to be completely different than, the, than what you were watching before. It doesn't surprise me because Gatiss and Moffat, it's right up their alley to do what they do with him at the end there. I, you know, we all should have seen it. We were duped in thinking that anything could have been different. But with that being said, this series is a must watch. I think you have to check it out. It's really, really well done. If you're a fan of the Dracula uh, legend or you know this sort of like darker storytelling of vampires van housing all that kind of stuff you'll really like this uh, the performances in it are pretty uh, good uh, the guy who plays Dracula especially stands out uh, he pheno he does a phenomenal job uh, I know he's a Dutch or Danish actor I can't remember his name but he does brilliant I, I really really loved his version of Dracula um, I stayed up like the whole night watching the series when I started it. I didn't, I didn't want to stop because it was just so addicting. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, the next one is a film that you can also find on Netflix. It's uh, stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks as the leads, and it's the movie Catch Me If You Can. If you've never seen Catch Me If You Can, and you're a fan of sort of these heist or these on-the-run like fugitives of the law movies. If you're going to love this, okay? Uh, I had not seen this movie until recently. I'd heard about it. I'd not seen it. I'd seen scene breakdowns of certain scenes. Hadn't watched it. It is phenomenal. Just, first off, brilliant acting. Brilliant, brilliant acting. 
especially on the part of Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. He does a phenomenal job in this film. Um, just great. I mean, Tom Hanks is also stand out. He's amazing, as is Christopher Walken. But overall, just the story is so well written. Um, you know, it's just really well directed. The entire movie. Again, I'm not going to give too much away about it, but it's pretty much it's a story of this young man, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's based on a real story. It's a story of Frank William Abagnale Jr., who from ages 15 to 21 committed uh, fraud through, um, you know, check fraud uh, and conned his way into various different positions uh, of power. Um, and like, for instance, he was uh, he for a couple of years, he pretended to be a Pan Am pilot so that he could get free flights and he could get take advantage of their payroll checks and then he was the head of a hospital wing in pediatrics uh at a at a hospital in jeez oh, i can't remember where in atlanta i think and then he was a practicing attorney for the attorney general of the state of louisiana um uh, but yeah, I think so, Louisiana. But it's just insane. So this is all based on a real story. But it's and then you know Tom Hanks he plays the character, uh, the FBI uh, agent who uh, was tracking him down throughout all this. And it's very much a game of cat and mouse. It's well done the entire time. You know what he's doing is wrong, but you're very much rooting for uh, DiCaprio because he's so damn charismatic in the role. Uh, so as as you know the stakes grow and he's getting close to getting caught, you're like fuck. How are you gonna get out of this? And it's just really, really good. I definitely recommend checking that one out. Next movie, I definitely, I'm gonna have to do an episode on this film because it's beautiful, just beautiful. It's Booksmart. Uh, Booksmart was uh, Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. This is her first like feature uh, film that she's done. She's directed like music videos and shorts and whatnot. But this is the first, this is her first feature film that she'd done. Um, it's really w well made. It's the, it's the story of these two friends in high school who, you know, they were top of the cl their class or whatever, and they discover that while they were not partying and being, you know, these excellent model students, they're their classmates who were out partying every weekend, every night or whatever, you know, doing this or that sleeping around, doing drugs, whatever, those same kids also got into the same schools as them. And so they decide that the night before graduation, they are going to party it up because they don't want to have missed out on partying in high school. And so they go on this, you know, this, this sort of journey across town to get this, to this ultimate party that's being put on by like the really popular kids. And it's just really, really good. Look, I'm not a woman. Um, I can't speak on the importance of this film for women. I can't sit here and tell you that this was that, you know, that for me, I can't, I can't, I'll never really understand that. And I, I, you know, I've come to terms with it, but I do think that it is very important for women to have these films that are presenting them because truth be told, movies have not been kind to women. You know, there are some movies that have been, but a lot of movies, women are reduced to very minor characters, uh, you know, very much they're used for their uh, sexual appeal, and it's horrible. But then you get movies nowadays like this, which, again, I'm not, you know, take this as me being, you know, uh, 
a man who will never know the hardships of a woman. But this film is very much, you have these two powerful leads and it's a, it's a movie about, you know, girlhood and the, the sort of bond of this female friendship. I've seen it in my friends, but I've never seen it portrayed on the big screen like that. And for me, it, you know, it's like some have called it the super bad for women. I disagree completely. I think this film is its own thing. I don't think it needs to be compared to anything. Booksmart is the booksmart for women. It is just such a powerful, uh, a female-centric, uh, female empowerment film. But it's not. that's not the whole basis of the film. You know what I mean? That's very much just ingrained into the writing, ingrained into the characters, ingrained into the, the world. But it's not the forefront of it. Uh, but it's still, it's just great. You, you know, you, everybody should watch this movie. It's, it's amazing. I really love this depiction of these girls. I love, um, their performances. I love the, uh, I just, it's really, really good. I love that it's a f- female director. It was mostly female writers. It's just, uh, such a good, good movie. One of my favorites that I've seen this year. So definitely check out Booksmart. Uh, it has Jonah Hill's sister and I can't remember the other actress's name, but they're both really great. Uh, so check that out. Anyway, let's get into the topic, starting with the first year, 2010. 2010 was actually a good year for movies. It gave us the first part of the epic conclusion of the Harry Potter saga with Deathly Hollows Part 1, the brilliant animated DreamWorks movie Megamind that taught us that our beginnings don't have to determine our destinies, the raunchy and colorful kick-ass whose lead learned that pursuing one's dream of becoming a superhero in the real world came not only with responsibilities, but real danger. DreamWorks' other beautiful animated film, How to Train Your Dragon, a story much like Megamind about finding your place in the world and the idea that great heroes can come from anywhere. The fascinating story of Mark Zuckerberg and his historic, life-altering creation of the media behemoth that is Facebook in the social network, the reimagining of the 80s classic The Karate Kid starring a very young and very different from today Jaden Smith, and the conclusion of Andy's journey with his toys, and for many the conclusion of their childhood with Toy Story 3. The kind of great franchise-changing Predators, Christopher Nolan's mind-bending dream heist film Inception, Disney's modern twist on the princess story with Tangled, and of course, show favorite and previous topic, Tron Legacy, which brought back a nostalgic property and improved on it while telling a compelling story at its core. But my pick for 2010 has to go to Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Scott Pilgrim must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes in order to win her heart. Look, Right off the bat, if you know me or you know anything about me, you know that I chose this movie because it has incredible directing. The directorial style in this is amazing. Edgar Wright has this, this I think, style that will never be able to be replicated exactly as it is. He's got this whole thing where he he makes transitions interesting. Every transition is 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 done in a beautifully different way than to what we're used to, and you know he's very much about these sort of quick cuts and that 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 aren't just quick cuts they're quick cuts that are adding to the feeling of the film that make you feel the the fastness and the pace of the scene he also is a brilliant comedic writer who embeds this sort of not in your face comedy style into his movies and he manages to get these great performances out of all his actors 
and you know everything in the background has a reason everything it's just it's it's great and the and it really shows in this film that he has this directorial style unlike anybody else it also has fantastic editing and paste you know like i said going along with it it's very it's a very it's an actiony kind of a fun movie and it shows through the editing and through the the pace of the scenes and the pace of the dialogue uh it uses the strangeness of the source material to its advantage. It's based on a comic book run that's supposed to be set in a video game world, and it doesn't stray from that. It's not afraid to, to accept that and to accept its source material. A lot of movies nowadays are. They change drastic. I mean, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, for example, changed so many drastic key elements of the, of the, the story, but not Scott Pilgrim. It uses... The whole video game aspect, when an enemy is defeated, coins are show, uh, you know, coins are left behind. Uh, there's, a, you know, there's like a, like a really fun part where Scott goes to pee, and you see a little pee bar next to him, uh, kind of like you would with like health or whatever, and it depletes as he finishes peeing. Um, it's just so fun and funny, and they don't stray from it, which I think, with Edgar Wright's style, that just blended perfectly this was the perfect film for him to direct um it's just it's hilarious and still genuinely a fun movie to watch like to this day even though it came out in 2010 i still go back and watch this movie all the time uh when i'm you know whenever i'm just in the in the mood for a fun movie scott pilgrim is definitely at the top of my list uh it's just great performances from very recognizable stars i mean you have michael Cera. uh Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Chris Evans, Brandon Routh, um, you know, it's got Jason Schwartzman in, in a, you know, fantastic role, it's just all around a fantastically fun, energetic movie with really great directing, great editing, great pace, great performances, killer story, and it's just, a f it's fun from beginning to end. In 2011, we saw the continuation and early beginnings of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Thor and Captain America the First Avenger. One, a fantastic origin story that presented a character that would come to be the center and overarching hero of Marvel's Infinity Saga, and the other was Thor. Fans of that 70s show got a great toe for grace performance in the fun and risque Take Me Home Tonight, the conclusion to the Harry Potter franchise with Deathly Hollows Part 2, the brilliantly fun and touching Blue Sky movie Rio, featuring a great voice cast and perhaps Jesse Eisenberg's most fitting role, that of an awkward blue macaw. We were also given the conclusion to the horror master Wes Craven's franchise that revitalized the slasher genre with Scream 4. We also got the best of the Fast and Furious franchise with Fast 5, which saw the series still grounded in reality and featured amazing uh, action pieces and great performances from a fun and exciting cast. The return of Jack Black's Poe and Kung Fu Panda 2 that managed to follow up the smash hit that was the first film while still presenting a well-crafted and meaningful story. And of course, we got the first film in a series that seemed to be the salvation of the X-Men saga with First Class, which presented us with McAvoy and Fassbender as the iconic Charles Xavier and Eric Luncher in their early days. And lastly, we saw Shia LaBeouf's last involvement in the Transformers franchise with Dark of the Moon, 
in which the Autobots suffered the loss of many of their beloved members at the hands of someone they considered an ally. However, for my pick, we are going with a much more tame take on the captured alien story with the seminal film that would lay the groundwork and it seems would heavily inspire a popular Netflix series and has been a previous show topic, Super 8. During the summer of 1979, a group of friends witness a train crash and investigate subsequent unexplained events in their small town. This movie is, I mean, I've, I've done a whole episode about it, so we know how I feel about this movie. Right off, so with that, let's just, you know, kind of hit the bullet points on this. It's got great directing, just fantastic, a fantastic job from J.J. Abrams. You know, it's great performances from the uh, child cast. Um, it's got a really touching story of uh, accepting loss and not blaming, uh, learning to forgive those that we place blame upon. Uh, and it's nostalgia at its best. Uh, it just manages to work nostalgia into the movie and not in a in-your-face kind of way, but it's still reminiscent of the feeling of old sci-fi movies, but it's brought into the modern age. It very much feels like you're watching an old 70s uh, sci-fi movie, but you know, this film came out in 2011. It's just brilliantly, brilliantly put together a brilliant story that everyone has to see. And it was the best. It was the best of 2011. It was the best movie to have come out. Um, it's just a fantastic movie. Highly recommend. 2012 brought us action and comedy, like in 21 Jump Street, which brought back an 80s property with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill as the leads, and while on the surface being a buddy cop movie, taught a valuable lesson about brotherhood and friendship, and how easily these bonds can be strained when in a tough situation. 2012 also gave us plenty in the superhero genre, with the reboot of Sony's Spider-Man franchise and Amazing Spider-Man, presenting a much different take on the character than the previous Raimi incarnation with Andrew Garfield as a much more modern Peter Parker. We saw the potential of Josh Trank as a filmmaker with his found footage tale of three friends gaining superpowers and what would happen if an individual who was broken and abused suddenly had the power to take revenge on all who brought him pain in Chronicle. Christopher Nolan ended his take on the Caped Crusader with his last film in the Dark Knight trilogy, The Dark Knight Rises, in which we saw Batman and Gotham face their toughest enemy yet, anarchy and revolution. For fans of the Hunger Games book series, they finally got a film adaptation of their beloved series with Jennifer Lawrence starring as Katniss Everdeen in The Hunger Games, which began a continuing trend of dystopian teen adventures. Blue Sky delivered another animated hit in the environmentally aware and politically charged The Lorax, which reminded us in a cutesy way that we are on a path of environmental devastation unless, like the Onceler, we too see the danger in our actions and try to fix the damage we have done. For fans of rock and roll, musicals, and Tom Cruise singing, 2012 was a good year because it was when we got personal favorite of mine, Rock of Ages, which featured a stellar cast and told the age-old story of boy meets girl as they both chased dreams of stardom through iconic and beloved rock ballads and anthems. We got a refreshingly new story told by a bold and courageous filmmaker, that centered on a man finding himself and love as the world was about to be destroyed by an incoming, incoming asteroid in previous show topic, seeking a friend for the end of the world. 
we got Seth MacFarlane's strange and hilarious dirty comedy about a living foul-mouthed teddy bear and his boy as they grew up into adulthood and what happens when that occurs in Ted, Tarantino's brilliant film Django Unchained, and lastly what was almost my top choice, we got Cabin in the Woods, which much like Scream revitalized a dying genre in the most interesting of ways with a strong direction and brilliant writing that understood the movie they were making was full of cliches but somehow still created something new and worthwhile. But of course, I would be a fool not to give 2012 to the historic and franchise movie-making changing The Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes must come together and learn to fight as a team if they are going to stop the mischievous Loki and his ally army and his alien army from enslaving humanity. The culmination of five films worth of careful world-building managed to bring together multiple characters and still maintain their identities as individual characters. None of them felt drastically different uh, from their previous uh, appearances, of course, with the uh, exception of Mark Ruffalo being cast in the role of the Hulk where we had previously seen Edward Norton. Sorry. Um, But... So the that was great to to because it was it was something that I hadn't done before where you had all these characters coming from different separate movies, but now they're all tied together and they don't feel like they aren't the characters we've seen before. It showed that a successful shared universe was possible, was possible in a way that still cared about the story. It wasn't in a dumb kind of we're just here to fight kind of way. It still was telling a story that it had been building upon. Uh, there was still you know character development there was still action and an important story to be told there was just great writing and performances all around packed with action but none of it was mindless it all had a purpose in the film marvel studios took their first step into a larger world with this movie and for many of us changed our you know our childhood and our young adult lives and we would continue on this journey for years to come, but this this film, I, Iron Man, of course, as well. But this one was the one that that really was their bold step into into a larger world that they didn't even know they were a part of yet. In my opinion, 2013 was a great year for movies. For instance, the brilliantly dark and twisted sci-fi horror movie Dark Skies that saw the alien phenomenon become a menacing movie threat once again. We got a much different take on the superhero genre with Iron Man 3, which showed us what happens to the superhero after a massive team-up battle, showing a broken and PTSD-stricken Tony Stark whose world was shattered when aliens invaded New York in Avengers. We got our first glimpse of the potential of a battered and grim Wolverine struggling with the loss of Jean Grey and his, and his previous actions in The Wolverine. Zack Snyder gave us an ambitious and cinematically and thematically beautiful reboot of the superhero property with Man of, of the Superman property with Man of Steel, which I actually did an episode of, uh, which you can check out after this. J.J. Uh, Abrams continued his revival of the Star Trek series with his take on the con story in Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen delivered a strange yet hilarious 
uh, apocalyptic movie starring a cast of recognizable movie stars as themselves and this is the end? And who can forget when Disney and Pixar revisited the Monster Inc. world to show us the beginnings of Sully and Mike's friendship while teaching us the lessons that you can be whatever you want to be in Monsters University? Guillermo del Toro presented us with an action-packed epic Monsters vs. Giant Robots movie with the exhilarating Pacific Rim. uh, Jason Sudeikis and Jennifer Aniston delivered with the hilarious family road trip We Are the Millers. Lee Daniels gave us a beautiful and powerful film about a butler who served eight presidents during his tenure at the White House and saw America through all its eras of change in Lee Daniels the Butler. We also got the last of the Cornetto trilogy with Edgar Wright's The World's End. The world of children's movies and lives were changed with the phenomenon Frozen. The Coen brothers delivered a masterpiece of an indie film with their strange yet poignant film Inside Lewin Davis, which I recommend everyone check out because there may or may not be, but definitely will be, an episode on this film in the near future. And of course, who can forget the colorful and just plain beautiful film The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which nearly was my pick, but I honestly think I would have to be a true idiot to not recognize that the best film of 2013 was Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. Based on the true story of Jordan Belfort, from his rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime, corruption, and the federal government. It's Scorsese, so the direction is beautiful. But what really captivated me about this movie, even back then, was the acting. It has brilliant, brilliant performances from everyone involved. I mean, DiCaprio especially shines, but everyone else just delivers so damn well. DiCaprio just fucking nails it. Great look. Uh, Costume design is just so great. Uh, You know, it's very sort of, it's it's still a kind of colorful film. It's not drab, it's not dark, it's not grim. Uh, It's raunchy, yet relevant and it's just a fucking thrill ride it's just amazing i mean it's the master of cinema what are you gonna do like this isn't a theme park this is cinema baby it's amazing and then almost as if there was something in the water in 2014 starting to give us even better titles uh starting with james gunn awesome james gunn's awesomely wondrous superhero movie guardians of the galaxy We also, of course, got the hilarious comedy gems that were What We Do in the Shadows and A Million Ways to Die in the West. The Russo brothers began their careers with Marvel, delivering the spy thriller action film Captain America the Winter Soldier. Universal tried to lay the groundwork for their dark universe with the fun and mythos-changing Dracula untold. We also got what I think often gets overlooked as a great animated superhero adventure, Big Hero 6. Gareth Edwards somehow crafted an interesting Godzilla film by teasing us throughout the entire film with a giant monster fight, only to deliver at the very last minute with Godzilla. And of course, if you listened to my Thrills or Kills Part 2 episode, you knew I'd have to mention that we also got a different addition to the horror movie Pantheon with David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. The controversial and somewhat offensive yet relevant The Interview, which led to Sony getting their emails hacked and all their dirty little secrets and opinions being read by millions. The highlight of the X-Men franchise with Days of Future Past. The sequel that spelled doom for Sony's plans. 
for a Spider-Man cinematic universe and led to Spidey being shared with Marvel Studios, The Amazing Spider-Man. The adaptation of the Though Unfaithful, Still Enjoyable and Moving the Giver. Matt Reeves gave us the sequel to The Rise of the Planet of the Apes film with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which saw, which saw the continuation of Caesar's story. The bright and energetic Lord and Miller box office hit the Lego movie. We also got a movie I've mentioned before, I'm sure of it, The Strange and Twisted as above, so below. But for me, it has to go to a man whose films have been instrumental in changing my way of life, Damien Chazelle, in his film that got him to where he needed to be to deliver his masterpiece in 2016, 2014's Whiplash. A promising young drummer enrolls at a cutthroat music conservatory where his dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. So, Chazelle made this movie in order to get the proper funding that he needed for La La Land. But, that doesn't mean that this movie's not fucking amazing. The directing in this is just brilliant. It's a very tame yet not at all film you know on the on the surface as you're watching it it seems like a very small centered story and it is of course but it's not at all you know what i mean it's so violently moving and dramatic um it's got great performances all around jk simmons especially steals the show i mean you're never going to see the man again after you see him in this movie uh, if you've seen any of the behind-the-scenes work from uh, Chazelle's uh, movies, you know that there is just brilliant camera work done, and this film is especially one that showcases that. You know, it, it definitely doesn't let you forget that. Um, and it's just all around a great, great, gripping story that you need to watch. In 2015, we returned to a galaxy far, far away with J.J. Abrams' Star Wars Episode Seven. The Force Awakens, in which we were introduced to a new cast of characters and for many, like myself, grew up following them on their journey for the following years to come. Robert Eggers delivered his unsettling New England tale with the witch in which we saw a Puritan family being stalked and torn apart by the forces of witchcraft in the 1630s. Tarantino delivered yet another powerful Sam Jackson performance with a hateful eight, making us all think differently of winter shut-in movies. Pixar gave us a punch in the gut with their emotionally beautiful film about a girl and her emotions with Inside Out, while at the same time Disney began their endeavor of remaking their animated classics as live-action films with Cinderella. We all got to return to the park once again in the Dino Danger film Jurassic World, we got a glimpse of what it would have been like to have Edgar Wright direct a Marvel movie with Paul Rudd starring as Scott Lang in Ant-Man, and Katniss Everdeen's story came to an end with the conclusion of the Hunger Games franchise with Mockingjay Part 2. Hip-hop fans were given the biopic of one of the most influential and game-changing rap groups in the history of music NWA with Straight Outta Compton. But my 2015 went to a film I saw in theaters and still watch now and then, Everest. The story of New Zealand's Robert Rob Edwin Hall, who on May 10th, 1996, together with Scott Fisher, teamed up on a joint expedition to ascend Mount Everest, but unfortunately they were doomed from the start. This is based on a real story, and it is a, just a beautiful, moving, 
uh, story of these climbers and these ordinary people that go on this climb to be able to say that they summited the highest peak in the world and just how because of a storm they all unfortunately faced dangers that they had no idea and were even possible um, it is just an incredible story it's it's got a great cast and great raw performances uh hall is stars in this who if you know me you know i love my Hall, and uh, he is uh, just fantastic as is um as is jason clark and josh brolin it's got very convincing special effects and the magnitude of the situation is felt at every moment of the film when what happens happens there's not a moment that you're like oh shit i forgot that that had happened it, the film makes sure that you feel what they felt in those situations and it's just beautiful it's amazing in 2016 we saw gareth edwards once again take a swing at a franchise film with his story about the group of rebels that stole the death star plans in rogue one ryan reynolds redeemed himself and fought to present us with an actual good representation of the mercenary of the mercenary with a mouth in the rated r and game-changing superhero film deadpool Justin Lin finished out J.J. Abrams' Star Trek trilogy with the colorful Star Trek Beyond. The Caped Crusader and the Man of Steel faced off for the first time ever on the big screen in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Disney gave us our first Polynesian princess, uh, well, well, uh, daughter of the village chief, mind you, with the musically amazing Moana. And of course, the Russo brothers gave us what is perhaps the best comic book movie of all time, Captain America Civil War where they not only introduced Tom Holland as Spidey, Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther, had a massive superhero on superhero fight, but also turned the main hero, Tony Stark, of the previous films into the villain. We once again visited the wizarding world of Harry Potter with a prequel film, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Charlie Hunnam and Robert Pattinson both stood out in the biopic-slash-historical drama about the famous British explorer Percival Fawcett in The Lost City of Zed, Benedict Cumberbatch stepped into the role of the MCU Sorcerer Supreme and Doctor Strange and opened the world of Marvel to the magical and mystical side of things. If you know me, you know that 2016 was a defining moment of my life because of one film, and thus, it is a no-brainer that it earns the title of Best Film of 2016, La La Land. While navigating their careers in Los Angeles, a pianist and an actress fall in love while attempting to reconcile their aspirations for the future. <sighs> you know, I am going to do an episode on this movie at some point, but I'm waiting for the right time because when I talk about this movie, that'll be th the most that I ever really talk about a film. It has great directing, just beautiful beautiful amazing what i strive to one day be able to do directing it's got a great composing and scoring a fantastic score and soundtrack great performances from everyone involved john legend uh you know jk simmons for the brief time that he's in it of course emma stone of course emma stone and ryan gosling and it's just 
phenomenal, phenomenal camera work and cinematography. It's just so beautiful. The, the color grading and the color palette for this film, it's just amazing. It's just this bright and colorful world of, of, of Los Angeles. And it's got great costuming, a beautiful visual aesthetic that, that stays with you uh, even long after you've seen it. And of course, it's just a fucking killer story with a hell of an ending that taught me so much, not just about movie making, film uh, writing, you know, but about myself and life. It's just a beautiful movie. It's my favorite movie of all time, and it is perhaps one of the most beautiful pieces of cinema that has been created in the last 10 years, definitely in the last 20 years. It's amazing. I think everyone at some point in their lives has to watch this film. It was definitely robbed at the Academy Awards. Don't get me started. Moonlight is a fantastic film as well. But, but La La Land was, is a testament of the greatness of filmmaking and storytelling. In 2017, we got what is perhaps the most controversial and dividing Star Wars film, The Last Jedi. But but is easily my favorite, as we saw a much different Luke than what many of us were used to and were presented with many lessons, such as failure is learning opportunity is a learning opportunity that should not be forgotten about, and a great hero can come from anywhere. You don't have to be from some special bloodline. What nobody expected was a return of the devil's board game Jumanji, but that is what we got with Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, except the game had evolved into a video game to lure in new victims for the adventure of a lifetime. Taika Waititi showed us that not only is he a funny, talented actor, but he is also capable of taking a crap trilogy and revitalizing it with Thor Ragnarok. Equally, after Justice League, Patty Jenkins showed that maybe, just maybe, there was still hope for some quality films from DC, delivering the fun and spectacular origin story, Wonder Woman. And speaking of spectacular, if my main choice hadn't come out in 2017, this film would have easily been my choice. John Watts took a character who had been rebooted twice now, and managed to tell a story with him that had not been done, and created a much better version of the character than we had seen before with the best live-action Spider-Man film, Spider-Man Homecoming. And James Mangold also did the same thing. He told a story involving a well-known character that hadn't been presented before with his beautiful end to Wolverine's story in Logan. Speaking of James's, James Gunn also followed up his own amazing hit with the equally awesome Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Matt Reeves presented us with the end of Ape Leader Caesar's story in War for the Planet of the Apes, and Saoirse Ronan was amazing in The Incredible Ladybird, and lastly, John Jordan Peele debuted as a director with a fucking smash with his masterpiece Get Out. But the best film of 2017, without a doubt, is the incredible heist caper Baby Driver. After being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist doomed to fail. Edgar Wright is a master of his craft, incredible directing, and it shows in this film his masterpiece. Uh, beautiful cinematography and editing, just great performances all around. The music element influencing the scene play out is fucking brilliant. Uh, it's a real good story, and it's a killer, killer soundtrack. Just a chef's kiss to this movie. 
2018 gave such hits like A Quiet Place in which John Krasinski brilliantly found a new way to make the audience sit on the edge of their seats. We got the biopic of Queen uh, frontman Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Marvel began the conclusion of their Infinity Saga and payoff of the culmination of 10 years of universe building with Avengers Infinity War. Ryan Coogler helmed the first relevant and important black superhero movie, Black Panther, which not only gave us a black superhero, but almost an entirely black cast and earned itself a couple of Oscars in the process. Ryan Reynolds followed up his smash hit with an equally great performance as Wade Wilson in Deadpool 2. Audiences were moved as Steve Carell delivered a fairly straight dramatic performance in Beautiful Boy, based on the pair of father and son memoirs of a young man struggling with a heroin addiction and his father desperately trying to help him. Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick gave us a sensual and mysterious story in a simple favor. Alfonso Cuaron delivered a beautiful, beautifully shot artistic story of a Mexican maid based on his own experiences growing up in 1970s Mexico with a fantastic Roma. And lastly, we got what might be perhaps the best Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a film that redefined who Spider-Man is and delivered on Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's message that anyone can wear the mask and be amazing. But the best film of 2018 has to be Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado Springs, Colorado, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan branch with the help of a Jewish surrogate who eventually becomes its leader, based on actual events. It's an incredibly relevant movie with a state of affairs, and it's an incredible story. It's not just a political movie, which it is, but it's a worthwhile, men a worthwhile story that needs to be told. Spike Lee is a hell of a storyteller, and it shows in this movie. John David Washington and Adam Driver are both amazing, and it's just a fucking amazing film. It's a sh batshit crazy story, but it's but it's true, and, it, and it's fantastic, and it's a great depiction of it, and it's very relevant in today's political atmosphere to see these, these, these films be told about people who are being um, targeted by these hate groups, and it's just amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, of course, we know that the films that were released this last year that are considered amazing by the Academy, so I won't be mentioning some of those, but this last year we got such great, such greats as Quentin Tarantino's uh, Love Letter to Hollywood and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We got the conclusion to the Skywalker saga with J.J. Abrams' Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Noam Baumbach delivered a powerful movie in his representation of the story of divorce and marriage story. Disney delivered a diamond in the rough with their live-action retelling of Aladdin. Marvel concluded their Infinity Saga and said goodbye to their two monumental characters in Avengers Endgame. Disney revisited sisters Anna and Elsa in a relevant way with new fantastic songs in Frozen 2. Jordan Peele followed up Get Out with a visually stunning horror movie about doppelgangers in Us. Olivia Wilde made her debut as a feature film director with a moving and fun Booksmart. Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron charmed us all in the rom-com about a schlubby writer star starting a relationship with a presidential hopeful in Longshot. DC delivered a great film in Shazam. Disney wrapped up the story of their living toys in Toy Story 4 and, in the meantime, wrapped up 
all of our childhoods and punched us in the gut once again. We saw Spidey adapt to a world without Tony Stark while facing a new threat on a trip abroad in Spider-Man Far From Home. We saw Shia LaBeouf shine in a film about friendship and the importance of the content of our hearts rather than our appearances or disabilities in The Peanut Butter Falcon. And lastly, we saw the amazing writing talent of Ryan Johnson on display with his colorful whodunit, Knives Out. But by far, the most moving and beautiful film I saw this year that presented an intelligent and meaningful story while showcasing the art of filmmaking has to be Taika Waititi's brilliant political anti-hate satire, Jojo Rabbit. A young boy in Hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this movie. If you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, do yourself a favor, go watch it now. It's back out because of its nomination for an Oscar, so you can find it. You have to see this movie in theaters. If not, then fucking watch it when it comes out on on, uh, digital or is available for rent. It's just a beautiful film. It's got a great cast, great performances from everyone involved, including its child lead who delivers a powerful performance in this. It's moving and it's a relevant and timely story. Now, more than ever now, it tells this story of the dangers of hatred, of blind hatred, not understanding one another. And it teaches us that because people are different from us, It doesn't mean that they are bad or evil. That because times are tough, it doesn't mean that we should blame a specific group for our struggles. It's a great message and a great theme. It's got great wardrobe, a colorful setting and a colorful world. It's beautiful, uh, beautifully fun cinematography. And in a word, it's just perfect. It's perfect. And you should all go and watch this film because it is amazing. And with that, it's time to wrap the show up. If you like the show, make sure to leave a five-star review, which you can do in-app. I'd really appreciate it. Plus, it really helps the show, and I'll read your review on the show. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash logcast and donate a dollar or similarly you can also donate whatever amount you'd like on venmo by venmoing j dash valle 27 anything helps keep the lights on remember if you donate it all goes towards improving the show getting better recording equipment etc and it helps with my other creative endeavors for example my short films and of course if you donate not only will i be really really thankful you'll help me on my creative journey but you will also get a shout out on the show uh, you can follow me on Instagram at j.valle underscore and the show on Twitter at Captain's Log Pod. Let's try to get the show's Twitter to 50 followers, but I recommend movies on there and post show updates and tweet some occasionally funny things. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can find me as Jose Valle Jr. Make sure to tell all your friends and family about the show if you enjoy it and if you disagree with some of my choices and you want to tell me why I shouldn't be allowed to live please do so by writing into captainslogcast at gmail.com. You can also suggest episode topics, guests you'd like to have back on, or recommendations for Check This Out. Make sure to subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and any other podcast directory. With that, everybody, we have reached the end of our show. Tune in 
uh, tune in next time at the same time and on the same frequency for another episode. I've been your Captain Jose Valle Jr., and this has been Captain's Log. End of transmission. Seriously, though, watch Jojo Rabbit. That movie's fucking amazing.